Some words on Quinn, some words from Danny Ainge, and words with friends. Jordan Liggins jumps on the podcast. She's of Spinsters. She does it with Haley O'Shaughnessy, who has been on the podcast, giving you some cotton candy as we talk finals, NBA X, and WNBA. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, NMLS number 3112, equal housing lender. A lot of response from last episode of the podcast happens when you get Sandman on, I guess, but I anticipate some more reaction as well on this one as Quinn Snyder steps down from the Utah Jazz after eight years in charge. Two presidential terms, and you could see it on him towards the end of this season. And I wanted to start the open on how to remember this time from Quinn. Had a couple days to digest it. Went through the emotional day of Monday, having a press conference after the announcement. Dealing with it on Sunday. I don't know how you received the news, but I got it while I was on a run. Just trying to be a little healthier. Head of NBA Finals action that night. And you get the news, and you're floored. You're absolutely floored. Because me, I'm 28. I've only had three head coaches during my lifetime be leading the Utah Jazz. Three. Kings go through that in the calendar year. And the stability and the rock-solid nature of this franchise, I'm sure it hit everybody the same. It's shock. It's bewilderment. How could this happen? It's questioning, why would he want to do this? I think now the best thing to do is to remember exactly what he did and how he did it. Because Quinn came in and he inherited a team that had won 25 games. And he turned them immediately into a team contending for 500. And then eventually into a playoff player. Six straight postseason appearances. He leaves as the second best coach, in my mind, in franchise history. Second best win percentage. He's only behind the legend Jerry Sloan. And mind you, those three coaches that I've lived through, it's a legend, it's a legend's assistant, and Quinn. And that's it. And Quinn's hired by Dennis Lindsay, been a coach all over the world. He's a world traveler at this point. Been in the D-League, been an assistant for Bud in Atlanta. And he takes the tools that he was given and he makes them a stout defensive outfit. He makes them the best defense in the league. Once he's proven his coaching acumen, once he can tell this guy has some chops, Dennis in the front office decide to give him new tools and see if he can do it offensively with Mike and Boyan. And what does he do? He does it again. He makes them a top-five offense. He makes them the best offense in the league. And it comes not in a linear stature. It's not immediate the way that Quinn works. He's such a brilliant mind that, yes, it takes a little bit of time. But coming out of the bubble and coming out of the experience of how do we score points without Boyan Bogdanovich, well, we're going to shoot threes, well, we're going to acquire Jordan Clarkson, We're going to play fast. Well, he does it. He does it with this team. And for the next season, they are the best team in the league. And that's how I choose to remember Quinn Snyder with the Jazz. That season, those moments, those highs, 
having the best team in the league for the regular season is such a huge accomplishment. They needed it last year. Quinn needed it. Everybody needed it to validate what they were doing was right. And I know we can do the classic sports radio thing of they didn't get it done in the playoffs. It was all for naught. Well, that's missing the big picture. That's missing that they accomplished something that no other Jazz team has done. Being the best team in the league solely, right? They've been the number one seed in the Western Conference. They've done that before. But they haven't been the top of the heap for everyone. And in how deep that the NBA is, doing that here, doing that in Utah, doing that with new ownership, doing that with all the swirl around what happened from this team coming out of COVID, doing that with those factors, Quinn deserves all the accolades, should have been coach of the year, and should earn your appreciation. Because nobody knows X's and O's like that guy. Automatically, I mean, it's going to be difficult to replace that guy. He is a top five coach. You know, we've talked to plenty of guests here on the podcast about how good of a coach he is. Billis, he's been on the pod, and he'll run through a wall for that guy. And I don't think that him stepping down is a virtue of him losing the locker room. All those players would still fight for Quinn. They'd play for him if he came back. It was in his court. He needed time off. You could see it. He was weathered. Monday was emotional. He didn't want to do it. Nobody wanted him to do it. Danny didn't want to do it. Ryan didn't want him to do it. But Quinn felt he had to. And I hope during this time he gets to recharge, gets to be with family, gets the time off that he needs because he'll be back and he'll be a head coach for somebody someday. And I love the conspiracy theories that are being thrown out online. That he's the next in line for San Antonio. Whatever you think it is, we really don't know what's in his future. He, he coached Cheska in Moscow. He's willing to go anywhere to coach if it's the right situation for him. He's a basketball traveler. He's a basketball teacher. He wants to hear from all sorts of basketball minds. You could tell from his staff that he had. And now you'll see some of those guys in the staff go on to other places like Sergi. He's going to be an assistant GM in Portland. Del Demps going to Minnesota. He heard from a variety of places, and he had a variety of experiences on his staff, and that's what made him great because he wants to learn, and he had a thirst for knowledge in basketball to make him great. And he was great, and he is great, and he's going to be great for another team, I'm sure, at some point. As for what's next, well, coaching search. Buckle up. There are going to be a lot of names. If you're reading Woj's Twitter feed, seems like half the league is interviewing for this job. But that's the point. They're going to cast a wide net. Have to trust that Danny Ainge has a plan for what's going to happen going forward. And I understand the consternation from a fan base of where are they in this fork in the road? Where are they going to go from here? There's uncertainty around the team, but it has to be encouraging that so many coaches are answering the call to try and get an interview for this team. I'd ask you to listen to Danny Ainge, sat down with David Locke on the Note podcast. Let's do it the same place that you got this. Just check out the Note. 
Most interesting thing for me was when he touched on the franchise's direction and how that affects the crop of guys that they might go out and interview. I think there's a little bit of uncertainty of what direction the franchise is going to go right now. And so there might be some uh, hesitancy, but I don't think, um, I mean, based on the first 24 hours after uh, Quinn stepped down, uh, there's a lot of interest in, there are many, many coaches out there that would, would die to have this job. And, um, but as you said, it's not dysfunctional. It's not, um, you know, like that's why we wanted Quinn to stay. Like nobody was trying to get Quinn out of here. I mean, he just felt like it was his time, but I think that, um, I think we'll be able to find a good coach and somebody that will be very, very excited about being here. Again, that's on the note, find it for the full interview because I know a lot of people have wanted to hear from Danny Ainge. That's your opportunity. Hear him on the note. You give some good tidbits, including Alex Jensen is going to be coaching the Summer League team. He's already entrenched. And now, if you listen back to that round ball roundup with Bobby Marks, just to add, find a new head coach on the list of things that they need to do this offseason. We have you covered once he's announced. I get into more of the type of guys that Danny goes after. We'll do some fun convo with our next guest on up-and-coming names that maybe people aren't thinking about, what Quinn could do next. That'll be the next pod. But I just wanted to put a bow on, okay, how do we remember Quinn Snyder and his jazz era? I think fondly. He's a basketball savant, and he deserves to be recognized as such. Five stars. Nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you listen to the podcast. It's always appreciated. And I'm sure you'll appreciate this fun talk with Jordan Liggins, Spinsters. Haley O'Shaughnessy was on the show previously. This is her co-host. It's a great feed over at Spinsters. They talk hoops as well. And I want to get her take on the WNBA season. Since I'm jumping on the Vegas Aces bandwagon, I need to hear how it's being received. I want to just have fun. Need a break a little bit. You know, give you some NBA X as we're watching the finals. But we start with some advice. What do you do with your hands during a coaching search? Here she is, Jordan Liggins, in Round Ball Roundup. A coaching search. Do you have any words of advice for jazz fans now that they're in the coaching wilderness? You know, my sparks are also in this now. So yeah, (laughs) I don't know what happened in L.A., but everyone met together and said, we're getting rid of all of our coaches. We're starting new. Um, Any advice? I would say that no matter what, you can't choose the coach. That's what I always come back to. I wish Rob Palenka would call me and say, you know, Jordan, who should we hire? And I would say. Thank God it wasn't Mark Jackson. That's all I'm going to say. You are going to hear Mark Jackson come up in your coaching search because we were just talking about this the other day on Spencer's like the same names get recycled over and over. And so with Darvin Ham with the Lakers, I'm just happy it's somebody new. Like we don't really have any expectations with him. I hope you guys get the same thing because it's hard to just get the 
Stan Van Gundy's, the Mark Jackson's, the Kenny Atkins. Like, it's just going to all be the same names. <laughs> the recycling of of coaches and, and seeing those same names pop up. The, the good thing is, at least uh, in the initial reports, is that there are a lot of names that the Jazz are looking at, and, and a lot of them are these assistants for all these teams that mm-hmm. are coming up. Getting Darvin Ham a new name, what are you expecting? What, what are the expectations? I know you said that you know there are none, but what are you expecting from a, a guy in charge who clearly has a lot of respect around the league as he's been up for these jobs for a while? Yeah, he has. Um, I was nervous. I was nervous for him because just as a Lakers fan and in, in the, the Lakers organization, there's so much pressure immediately. We are terrible at, um, you know, getting rookies, developing them because there's just the spotlight immediately. And I was worried. I was like, he's going to come in. And if he doesn't win the first three games, myself included, we're going to light him up. Like, <laughs> like what's what's happening? It's a winning culture. But he shared that story. I don't know if you heard when he like got shot in the face when he was younger. And he was like, that could take you fearless or fearful. And that made me fearless. So he's not scared. He's like, this is going to be fun. I get to coach LeBron and Westbrook and AD. So that's what I'm excited about. Just like this fresh take and to make our players tougher. I think that was a gap in just the Lakers last year. We weren't tough. People were bullying us. So he has that mindset. I'm excited for it. What was your take on this Lakers season that was as uh, frankly, the times that the Jazz played LA, they looked like world beaters. But in every other game, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like that. If they, they played Utah every single time, they might have gone eighty two and zero. But what was your take on on this entire year for LA? Disappointing. That's my word. I was so excited for Russ to come. I was it was like eighty can't be hurt as much as the previous year. Like it can only get better, and that's not what happened. Um, it was, it just didn't seem like everybody was on the same page. It didn't seem like everyone wanted the same goal and just being a Lakers fan for so long, the excellence is the goal. And it's what we are expecting every single time. That's just the high, high bar that we set. And so if the team doesn't feel like they have that goal, the coach didn't feel like he had that goal. It was just disappointing all around. And I know that AD can't help his injuries, but I call him the glass man. I'm like, can we, can we do something? Can we just like tie your hands together? You can only sit in this one spot so you don't hurt yourself. I don't know, but thank you to the jazz for giving us the couple wins that we did get. We appreciate you. They made Stanley Johnson look like an all-star and he was on a 10 day. It was, it was maddening to watch if, if you're on the, the jazz side of things, but you know, whatever it happens in the course of an NBA season. Is there a future for this group? Do you think that they need changes apart from having a new head coach and a new lead voice in that locker room? I'm hoping that is the biggest change. I think, you know, my biggest gripe with Vogel was the rotations and the lineups. It just didn't seem like the best group was working together or was on the floor. It didn't seem like they could build chemistry because it was changing so often. 
I am not the one to give up on Russell Westbrook. I think he had a down year, but we know what type of player he's capable of. I think it was also the pressure and the homecoming and, you know, being in front of his hometown and his family and friends, like maybe that just got to him. I don't know, but I know that he's not going to go out like that. He wants to come back and be the Russell Westbrook that we know and love. So I don't think we get rid of Westbrook. I'm not on that camp. We keep Westbrook, but some of the role players, if there are, you know, some instant offense, I think just our scoring goes down when LeBron goes out and eighties on the bench, like nobody could score. So Malik Monk played well. If we get some other role players to come in and just fill in those gaps, especially defensively too. We miss you, Alex Crusoe, every single day. Um, then I think we'd be good, especially with a new coach. It was encouraging to hear Ham uh, talk about his plans with Westbrook and, and keeping him included uh, because even if, if you're just a hoop fan, you have to admire how hard that he plays every yes. single night. I don't care if you're a Celtics diehard. You have to appreciate that somebody goes out there. He's going to play every game. He's going to try every game. He's trying to raise everybody else's level to mm-hmm. his high standards and and he didn't meet his own high standards but i'm sure he's going to be the first person to try and write the ship for himself yeah i love what you said because a basketball fan knows westbrook's given 110 percent, and even when he was struggling nobody faulted his effort no one said man he's just not out there trying like he's going to try he's going to try so hard that he misses half of his shots at the rim he was like 30 percent on dunks for the season something atrocious like that but he is going to give you everything and I much rather have that person on my team than you know this superstar who's scoring a billion points I know the effort's gonna be there now we just have to get that back to translating to buckets buckets look at that natural plug (laughs) that's how you do it that's a professional talking about the show the buckets five check it out on youtube <laughs> on to the finals which have been pretty entertaining so far uh, recording mm-hmm. this on a wednesday so it's one one heading back to boston what's your read on this series and how it could go and what the natural progression of it because i feel like we have these wild swings after games where it's it's over the series is over after game one and then the warriors come back and and win the next one where are you on this series and where do you think it goes i think it's going to be another roller coaster ride all throughout these playoffs let's be honest they have not been as fun they've been blowouts they've been snoozers i've been watching my Terrible reality TV sooner than later in the evenings because the games have not been close. But for the finals, I like have my popcorn ready. I want the drama. I want all of the smoke that Draymond is bringing. Like I want some excitement. And then, of course, the Warriors blow out the Celtics in game two. But I don't think that's going to be a trend. I think with the Celtics winning game one, it shocked everyone including myself warriors know how to be in the finals they are so comfortable here having home court advantage and they lose like i think we all kind of took a step back and was like okay this boston team is for real like we knew they were fun they're young but they are for real so my prediction has always been warriors and six but 
I think it's going to be close. I don't think Boston is just going to lay down and, and keep getting blown out. I don't think that's just in their DNA. So we're recording this early Wednesday, but I think Wednesday night, they come out fiery first game at home. The refs are going to be on their side. Draymond gets tossed early in the first quarter. That's my prediction. <laughs> I think that guaranteed at some point Draymond's going to be tossed in this series. Sadly, has you know, to. He, but he has to with the way that he's he's almost like Russ in that he's trying it at every single moment, but he's also trying to get himself tossed seemingly. <laughs> Confidence level that I wish I had, like I can go and start a fight with somebody and I know the ref isn't going to toss me out. Like he gets the, the first quarter tech. That's, you know, a given. But for three other quarters, he is trying his hardest to get thrown out and still doesn't. He's like walking on water at this point. He's a god. That's and what he thinks. One, he is. He's a generational defensive player. Mm -hmm. And then add to that, he has the confidence of a Hall of Famer that he's this all-time great. That playing on the edge, and you can tell the Warriors around him, they respond to it. They need it. They need that edge because he is the emotional captain of that team in the way that they go because Steph is so even-keeled. It's, mm -hmm. it's different when you have a dream on greed leading the charge and trying to get you guys amped and ready to go. It's so funny because every time, you know, we have a game and we're talking about Draymond. If you miss the game, you go back into the stats and he has like two points, <laughs> three rebounds, like four assists. And you're like, okay, what did he do again? But it's not that it's everything else it's the energy it's the excitement it's getting the other team frustrated because you look on the other side Al Horford only had two points Marcus Smart only had two points and that was a part of Draymond's strategy so it's always so funny when you look at the the stat sheet Draymond doesn't really make a difference there but it's everything else and I always go back to that series you know when they lost the championship and he was not there he is missed he's needed on this team even earlier in the season when he was hurt, they need him just being there, his presence. And uh, hopefully he doesn't get kicked out because they need him in every game throughout the whole game. And sometimes I get upset when I feel like he's trying to get kicked out. And I'm like, your team needs you. Why are you doing this to them? I get so mad at him. He does it in spite of himself. He, and he knows, you know, he knows because the guy's a podcaster. He gets it. He's in the media game. If he were analyzing himself, he would be telling him, himself I these know. things. I know. Goodness gracious. He's the last podcaster left. So him and Iggy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Iggy. They're up two podcasters to nothing. That's why I think for <laughs> for neutrals, for podcasters, I think, you know, the Warriors are the team. In my opinion. Gotta root for them. <laughs> and then and then I think back to when you guys on your podcast, you guys did X of the NBA and mm -hmm. Steph at the free throw line. As much as I love watching him play, him shooting from three, Jordan Poole pulling up from deep. When I see Steph when he gets fouled and he's at the free throw line and chewing on his mouth guard, I start, yeah, I start saying, ah, I don't know if I could get behind the Warriors today. <laughs> I, I hope he doesn't get fouled this game. I hope it's it's just him shooting from deep, not getting to the charity strap, because then I can root for Golden State. I think we need a whole category of mouth guard icks because LeBron, he takes it out and he drops it in his shirt. I think that's LeBron. And he just 
goes into the sweaty abyss. And then after he's done at the free throw line, he picks it out and puts it back in his mouth. It's disgusting. I know some players like put it in their sock. Why? (laughs) Why can't you just wear the mouth guard? That's what it's there for. But there should be a whole category of mouth guard icks because just let it stay where it's supposed to stay, please. Well, and also, I mean, when Steph's chewing on his mouth guard, it's got to be warping it, right? Where it doesn't fit into his mouth the same way that that it did when it was on the outside. I wonder how many he's gone through because he has to be chewing the back so far that, and and I bet in close games, he's chewing harder. And then he's like, yeah, I need another one. It doesn't fit anymore. And what is the budget for mouth guards for Steph? That's (laughs) investigative journalism. I'm going to write that down. Please. I I want that on the next investigation (laughs) on spinsters. You know, (laughs) it's a tremendous feed because not only is it talking basketball, you guys have interviews, you, you have log Ford stories. That's the next investigation. Find out the mouth guards. The other thing that I really hated as an ick, uh, Steve Nash, when he used to wipe his his fingers and then touch and start dribbling. And he would do it like mid-dribble, too, as he was bringing up the court. And it would be a four-finger lick. Like, it wasn't just one, whatever. And then his hair would be long and sweaty, so then he'd just wipe it, put it behind his ears, and then lick his hands. Steve Nash could not play in COVID times. I'll no. just put that out there. No. He would have been banned from the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> now my next in the NBA. Another one that I don't really like, uh, when Shengun's talking to the ball. It's kind of kind of a little too much for me. I don't know it's if I can, much. I can do it at the free throw line when he's just getting up close to that Wilson basketball and he's talking to it. It's too much. Just, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be so close. Maybe that's my problem. Yeah. If yeah. it was far away and he's like in his shooting pocket, talking but the fact that it's so close and it's almost like he's making out with the basketball like we know ball is life we know you love basketball but let's get some social distance please because other people have to touch that basketball and it doesn't need all your thoughts in it please thank you (laughs) are the warriors the more likable team when it comes to this finals what do you think i think generally no I think in a general basketball population, people really love this Celtics team. They love this Tatum, Brown, smart team making it over the hump because they've only made it to the Eastern Conference Finals under Brad Stevens. Now they have a new coach. They have this defensive mindset. They're fun to watch. They are young. People are kind of rooting for them. People are tired of the Warriors winning, which they have been winning a lot. They haven't been here in the past two years. I think on the Warriors side, they are wanting to solidify that dynasty to prove like we can get here again. We can win again. It wasn't, you know, just KD. It wasn't just a fluke in the 2010s. Like we can be this team. Um, But people are tired of it. They're not rooting for the Warriors. They're they're waiting for their downfall. People want the Celtics team. As a Lakers fan, I am torn. I also like the Celtics team. They're fun, but I can't root for the Celtics. I can't, especially now they're going to be at home. I just, 
I can't do it. It's not in my my DNA. I can't root for them. I was gonna <laughs> say you're you're talking about how likable they are. Is that just the Boston media mafia getting us with with all the Boston <laughs> NBA writers in the world talking about how great it this is. team is? Yeah, they but, planted chips in our brain or something to to get us to think that. <laughs> I watch Winning Time. Lakers fans hate the Celtics, and, and you know. It wasn't until that episode. So I was behind and I was like, man, this Celtics team, they are fun. And all throughout the playoffs, then I got caught up and I was like, F Boston. I can't, I can't root for Boston. No, we had Adam McKay on uh, Spencer's the other day to talk about winning time. And I told him that I was like, you guys did that episode too good because that's just my family's history that we can't like Boston. I've never really had that, but man. I just, I can't do it anymore after that episode. <laughs> so when the Lakers were going up against the Celtics in the 2010s, you, you didn't have this animosity towards them at it, that time? It, start, it definitely started there. And I right. just, you know, I'm a Lakers fan because my dad is a Lakers fan. And so him just being so angry and like, why do we have to play Boston? Anyone else? And I'm like, okay, yes, I'm going to lean into that. This is fun. But I was also... I'm from Sacramento, so I was a Lakers fan in Sacramento during those early 2000 years, and it was, you know, the Cowbells, BLA, so it was more, my hate was a lot towards the Kings uh, most of my life, so that's that's my history. <laughs> and, it, and it's a bit of a contrarian pick, I'm sure, being in Sacramento, all your friends were probably Kings fans. Yes, and I was like, I like to win, so I don't know about y'all. <laughs> I like championships. I don't know. Yeah. You guys, have you heard of it? I don't think so. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, carrying on, uh, I I'm going to go and, and enjoy this Larry O'Brien with Shaq, Kobe. <laughs> yeah, Pow. again. Yeah, again. <laughs> uh, continually seeing teams rebuilt and still win championships. Now, let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. Let's get to the W. This season in the WNBA has been so fun that mm -hmm. I'm trying to see, because we're starred for basketball, there was that four-day break in between the finals and, and the Eastern Conference, Western Conference finals break. I was like, I got to watch basketball. So I'm trying to get Jazz fans to watch WNBA, and we're gravitating towards the Las Vegas Aces. Mm -hmm. If you're looking at the landscape, if you're looking for a team, how are the Aces as just a team to jump on and, and get on the bandwagon for them? Oh, they are the best team to get on the bandwagon. The bandwagon's almost full, but I think there are some few spots left. Um, the Aces this season are looking better than ever. Um, if you are unfamiliar, they were previously coached by Bill Lambier, and they were playing a lot slower and instantly a lot. more likable now that yes. Bill Lambier is not the coach. 
instantly more. So that's number one reason. Becky Hammond is the coach now, and they she has them playing faster, shooting the most threes that the franchise has ever shot. Um, a lot of players like Jackie Young has really stepped into her own. She's a starter and Kelsey Plum, Dierica Hamby. And then, of course, you have the MVP from a couple of seasons ago, Asia Wilson, who really is coming into her own because she has the paint to herself. When Liz Cambage was there, I think it was just too clogged. They were trying to do a Twin Towers type of deal, but I think it took away from Asia's talent. And now she has the freedom to get 30 a game. Like she's really, really going after it. And no one's beating them. Like they're winning a lot, a lot. And they are on a winning streak. They're doing so well. They have the best odds to win the championship. So this is the time to hop on the bandwagon when they are about to win their first ever championship. Is this a little too close? And I don't want to have Jazz fans break their heart when they find a new WNBA team. Yeah. Is this too close to last year's Jazz, where they were the best over a 72-game sample? They were number one in the league. They came in like gangbusters. They put down John Morant in the first round, and then the second round happened. Mm. They lost to the Clippers. Can the Aces translate the regular season to postseason success? I think the playoff um structure change benefits them because last season and the season before they were still you know favored um I think since 2019 they have kind of been the favorite they've been in the top three conversation but that double buy teams just relax like they don't come in as fiery especially you're playing a team who just won you know close single elimination games they're on a high they are their momentum is raging and the number one seeds number two seeds are like okay we'll just wait and it doesn't work out it really doesn't so i think that helps them that they're just going to be able to carry this momentum into a series immediately and have multiple games to kind of prove themselves and make adjustments i think becky hammond has proven that she can make in-game adjustments which in coaching, it's a beautiful thing to see when you make in-game adjustments, when you switch up matchups, when you change rotations. So that is going to be where I think she shines, especially coming from a Spurs background. She's not afraid of the postseason. She's not afraid of the spotlight in that sense. So I think it should be good. If you are a Connecticut fan, now that's where... Okay. That's where they are always, you know... I call them always the bridesmaid, never the bride. They come in number one, probably the past like four out of five seasons. And then they get to the second round and it's just what team is this? Like a total different team. It's tough to be a Connecticut Sun fan because that that's what they're known for of like falling apart in the postseason. So the Aces not known for it. It has happened, but it's not there. It's not what you hang their hat on. I think they're going to be good. That's good. Uh, and that's a good point that they have been in contention because I, I even remember back to when they were in the finals against the Storm. I had a tweet uh, that said, oh, wow, Bird beating Bill Lambier in a finals. What a, sh what a shocker. You know? <laughs> Surprising. When has that happened before? <laughs> but now they're likable. Now they don't have that Lambier cloud over them. Becky yes. Hammond is somebody that you could get behind um, as a head coach.
Yes, definitely. That that storm team too. They were so good. That was probably that was the wobble season going through everybody. Number one the whole season, beat everybody in the playoffs, won the championship. It was probably the least uh, exciting finals because we all knew who was gonna win. Um, but the aces have been there. Like I think they they needed that taste. They needed that loss, especially Asia Wilson, to come back and say. We know what it takes to get there. We have to stay consistent and we have to stay consistent throughout the postseason too. Let's hit on a couple other teams because I have my playoff Emma shirt on. So Mm -hmm. the Chicago Sky have also been doing pretty well. They seem very super teamy, if you could put it, because they have Candace Parker. They have Allie Quigley, Courtney Vandersloot. Like they have stars on that team put together. They've won a championship before Mm -hmm. as a group. Uh, and adding a finals MVP and Emma Miesemann, huge. Where do you think that they shake out when it comes to the standings and it comes to postseason play? They're trying to go back to back. I think they've made that very clear by keeping their same core, but adding a finals MVP. That was probably the biggest one. They also picked up Rebecca Gardner, who I've been watching in the EuroLeague women um very very good overseas player and now is a 31 year old rookie you know how the WNBA is so hard to get into it's the hardest job to get so she's finally getting her chance and giving really good minutes for that team and then you have Kalia Copper who was the finals MVP last year and is still so good she is great she was she's just had a winning year if they win back-to-back championships she would have have won a championship and mvp in every single league that she's touched since last wnba season i don't know if that's ever been done before but i would love for her to be the first person uh james wade the coach and gm has made it very clear that their goal is to go back to back candace has been very cagey if this is her last season or if she's going to retire when she's going to retire So if she gets two championships in her hometown and then calls it quits, like that's kind of the best storybook ending to a career. So I kind of want that for her, but they got to go through some teams before they can, you know, for sure say they're going to get the the championship. And they're cagey on rotations. You watch that uh, championship rematch against the Mercury a couple weeks ago. Candace is playing the last minute on defense and shuts him down, she's able to come out there, be a defensive specialist like she has been her entire career. Yeah, she was defensive player of the year. Uh, What was that? That was a couple seasons ago. But that was a whole debacle because she didn't make first team all defense, even though she was defensive player. I think that just happened to Embiid. Like, he was in the MVP conversation and didn't make first team all NBA. Like, how... How are we doing this, people? Let's get it together. But Candace, she still has a lot left in the tank. When you watch her, she's still looking very spry and looking very great. So it's hard to imagine a WNBA without Candace Parker, Sue Bird, and Sylvia Fowles. I don't think my WNBA heart can take all of them leaving at one time. Diana Trasky's going to play until she's 50, so we're not worried about her. But all of them leaving, I don't know if I can take that. That would be a lot. And Sue Bird's an OG, man. I, I was talking to Natalie yeah. Williams. We brought her up uh, before we started recording. Natalie Williams played with Sue Bird <laughs> at the start of her career. She was a rookie, and she's still playing, and still playing at a high level. 
I don't know how she how she does it in that. Movie. I I don't know. I want to know what water she's drinking <laughs> or if she's going into a secret cave to like reverse time. Sue Bird was drafted in two thousand and two. 2002 she has been a part of the WNBA since it basically started the WBA started in 1997 she has been a part of it for so long but I also consider the storm you can't really ever count the storm out from being a championship contender but if she wins she would be the winningest player in WNBA history because she'd have five championships so she's tied with a bunch of players that have four Simone Augustus, Maya Moore, but she would be at the top. So when you have a team with Brianna Stewart, Joelle Lloyd, like they have a pretty stacked team. So I wouldn't be surprised if they make a run for it too. We'll let you go on, on the new coaching search. Sparks, they got rid of Derek Fisher as the head man. Mm-hmm. What direction do they go? There are clearly a lot of bandwagon Lakers fans here. They're everywhere. But if you're a bandwagon <laughs> Sparks fan, what is the direction of this franchise now that they don't have a head coach or a general manager as he was also that? You know, I have been very um, not shy about my dislike of Derek Fisher and how the Lakers and the Sparks, I feel like they always just give the Sparks former Laker players to say like, hey, get your coaching start here, even though you have no track record. And the Sparks is also a championship program. Um, so it's really tough to see Derek Fisher look like he has no idea what he's doing and still keep a job. So I welcome this change. Um, I hope that we turn to former WNBA players because that has been the success. We can see it over and over. Becky Hammond is doing well. The new coach, uh, Tanisha Wright at Atlanta is doing amazing. So these Vicki Johnson in Dallas, like There are so many W players who have been assistants for a really long time. And now there is a spot opening at the Sparks at a championship team. I would love to see a former player get to step into that role and really build a new culture that's not a hand-me-down from the Lakers and not, uh, okay, you didn't make it in the NBA, so we'll throw you this bone of the W. Like, The W is way more respected than that. The Sparks are way more respected than that. And so I hope the organization turns to somebody who is either seasoned in women's basketball and the W, and that would be a culture shift for the Sparks. And that's what they need. The season, this it it got off to a slow start and we're all calling for Derek Fisher's head. Like it's the rotations, the starting lineup, who he waved in the off season, it didn't make a lot of sense. And I was like, okay, if they win, I'll trust you. But they weren't winning. So I like this switch. It sucks it happened early in the season, kind of mid-season. But um, we need a culture shift. So I'm excited the, for the search. And this league is high level. You know, it's so competitive. The yeah. roster, you get roster cuts where veterans are getting cut. Now that's a, a separate issue where the rosters need to expand it. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the level of competition. You don't get as big of a feeder from college as well. Many of the draft picks don't make the team, and it's because of that high level of competition. It deserves better than just having a hand-me-down coach from Lakers or the NBA that just couldn't make it. And That's a shame that the Sparks have gone that direction where they even even alienated Candace to the point that she had to go to Chicago. It's worked out for her, but having her leave 
that organization, which you just associate Candace Parker, Sparks, MVP, yeah. championships. That, mm. That's a shame that it went that direction for them and that franchise. It really is a shame. And I was just doing like a woman on the street in front of the Sparks for the home opener for Buckets. And I'm like, who's your favorite all-time Sparks? Everyone said Candace. Everyone is so sad that she's gone. And it's very unfortunate that it was because of Derek Fisher. That's my major guess. And I think it's very obvious. Um, and now he's gone. And so as fans, you kind of sit with like, well, if he was gone before, we would still have Candace Parker. Like, that's so hard. But everything happens for a reason because, you you know, she went to her hometown. She won a championship. We love Candace. She's thriving. But it's so hard to look at the coach as the problem. Now he's gone. And now you're just like, well, we could still have Candace Parker. What could have been? What should have been? Derek Fisher, it's all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of jazz fans think that with uh, the early 2000s when he was on this team. So Derek Fisher, Woo! it's all your fault. <laughs> Jordan Liggins, yes. Buckets, Spinsters. Check her out on both. She's fantastic. She is joined. Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. 